This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into the Take Command podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, we are recording this portion of the podcast at about 7.15 Tuesday evening. So yes, we are reacting to the news that Scott Turner has been fired as the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. We recorded an entire separate 45-minute podcast earlier today, and if you're listening to the entire episode, uh, now this episode's going to be about 65 minutes, uh, I'm guessing. We're <laughs> going about 20 minutes here. Um, but just so you know, when you hear the podcast kind of start over in about 20 minutes, that is why. So uh, we reacted to everything Ron Rivera said this morning, uh, and everything Martin Mayhew said this morning, looked back at the game tape of Sam Howell. All of that stuff is coming as promised and expected, Logan. But we do now turn our attention to the breaking news. Scott Turner, relieved of his duties, fired, uh, parting ways, whatever you want to you wanna say. Uh, he is out after three years as the offensive coordinator here in Washington. Uh, his def- here his offenses uh, finished bottom third in the NFL every year in the two major statistical categories of yards and points. And this year they finished 26th scoring offense despite having really fantastic skill position players. And I think at the end of the day, that and the inability to get consistent quarterback play uh, leads to his demise <coughs> amongst a lot of other factors. Yeah, no doubt. What was the exact wording? Did they say he's fired or has there been an official release? Uh, I don't think there was like an official okay. wording type of thing on that. More of just like the, I, I, I let him know that we were parting ways, which I when you. when you part ways and your employer decides it, that means you got fired. Right. Uh, so first, let me just say, like anytime anybody gets fired, like that's a tough deal in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like I've been cut a couple of times, which is basically the same thing, getting fired. Only for me, I had no guaranteed money. At least he's got some <laughs> Somebody guaranteed. Yeah, he signed an extension last nice. offseason. Um, you know, but like, you know, to him and his family, like I hope they land on their feet. I hope they kind of get through this time okay. I know that could be really challenging. Um, but yeah, I think we all kind of knew something was going to happen. Uh, this seemed like the most likely thing that was going to happen. Uh, you mentioned the other things, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about it earlier or later. However, the, this is this is going on the show. But, you know, we're starting field position in the league, poor quarterback play you know, relatively poor offensive line play, eight different quarterbacks in his time here, like a lot of things working against Scott. And I think it's important to acknowledge those things because it's not that Scott is terrible. I do think, you know, you and I both agree that there were some things that he could have improved on and things that would have helped the offense and things that maybe would have elevated the guys at the quarterback spot and put them in better positions to be successful. But I think it'd be an oversimplification to say that it was all Scott like this team is offensively is far from perfect and there's some things that they need to get addressed this offseason. 
Um, but like I said, I think this is something that um, given the kind of collapse that they went through um, and especially the offensive kind of lack of production during that period, this was probably the writing was on the wall in some capacity. If it was this or hiring some type of consultant, pass game coordinator, run game coordinator, whatever it was, there needed to be a change. And this is the direction Ron chose to go. So I think there's two main things at play here that I want to dive into. One is all the other factors that we can talk about are valid and they are symptomatic of an organization that offensively has struggled for the entirety of Ron Rivera's tenure uh, for a, again, wide variety of reasons. Uh, But if you evaluate the job that Scott Turner does with the circumstances, I think it's also not great. Uh, Let me, let me say this. It's definitely not great. I think the, you can make a pretty good argument. It's not even good. And, and right. once you're at that level, um, Scott can certainly hem and haw about, oh, well, if we had just done this and that and the other thing, it's like, okay, well, how'd you do with the circumstances you were dealt? Because if he just can figure out how to get more production out of the very skilled players that he has, uh, if he can continue to do the things that are successful instead of getting away from them, something that frustrated players, as we learned in the piece that Sam Fortier wrote over the weekend. Um, you know, if, if he can be on the same page as the head coach in terms of an identity, then maybe he still has a job. And and the reasons why he still has the job are all those other reasons. And it's like, hey, Scott's doing the best he can, but they got to they gotta get him some help. And that's not the case here. Right. I, I think Scott is, I mean, maybe Scott's doing the best he can, but Scott's not doing the best that someone can. And not even just like Kyle Shanahan, someone, mm-hmm. I think uh, an above average, which is what you want, mm-hmm. uh, offensive coordinator. The lack of consistency, I think, is an enormous problem. And then I think the other part of it, and I know you popped on with Grant and Danny today uh, on the phone, and, and I saw someone tweet out this quote from you of like, I don't think there were, that he was on the same page as Ron. And mm-hmm. I very much was on this on that page with you. Hey, yeah, look at this. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, but like I said that on my show as well, like, and even before the news came down today, I thought the most, one of the most important things that came out of that morning press conference was Ron talking about, um, you know, we found this identity in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. And by that point it was too late for Carson. I think he's a lot like internally. I think Ron's probably thinking about Brian Robinson, but really what he's talking about is like the play calling in, yeah. um, the way Scott called the game and then they went away from it. And mm-hmm. so the fact that they go away from it and there's so many games where Ron's just like, well, I wish we would have run the ball a little bit more. And, and like, part of me is like, Hey buddy, you're the head coach. Like you can, you can demand that, but also the lack of ability to stay focused kind of from Scott, I think ultimately leads to his demise. Yeah. I think that's a big, I think that's a big factor. I think just, and I, I think it's even a little bit more nuanced than that. Cause I did at times, I think we both felt at times that Scott did a good job you know, identifying runs that this offense was good at. And I don't know if that's Scott. I don't know if that's Randy Jordan. I don't know if that's Matt Scott who kind of pinned in on those duo counter, you know, gap scheme runs that they seem to gravitate towards in a nice way. I think the thing that I found kind of the most, like my biggest gripe, if I had to like distill it down to one thing, was that they did a good job getting to those plays. But then after that, there was no, it didn't seem to be like a plan. There, there seemed to be kind of this, um, you know, it was like, uh, what is that oil and water like yeah pass game run game and you know in good offenses and offenses that i've been a part of they are they're 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 melded together in a way that this offense was not so i felt like scott had a vision for this offense which was more 
spread the football out, throw the football, drop back stuff. And I feel like when Ron was kind of like, we're going to run the ball more, he was on board with that, but there was no marriage of the pass game to the run game from a formation, from a philosophy, from a play pass standpoint, which I think gave it kind of this stilted feeling at points in the year. And again, that's not entirely on Scott. Again, that's, 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 I don't know if Scott kind of fully understood Ron's vision for the team. And I think like you mentioned this before, like, you know, Ron's the president. He's, he has a lot of say in personnel decisions. He's building a team to fit a certain identity. You need your coordinator to, to, to own that, right. To kind of be a part of that. And I'm, and I'm not sure if, um, if it ever got to that, to that same level of connection. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that that's the thing is, is in addition to the, to the running stuff, um, it, it is just like there was no no stacking of plays. And that was something that I found very, very confounding and very frustrating because there were times where it was beautiful, man. You couldn't have called better oh, sequences. Yeah. You know, the first half of the Atlanta game was fantastic. I mean, he called a really awesome game that game. The second half of the second Giants game, the, pretty much the whole game of the first Giants game, just his ability to kind of find these moments in these rhythms, which looked great, married up, fantastic. And then you know, like we said, he'd kind of go away from those things. And it just seemed like it didn't make sense as to why he was doing that. Um, yeah. Well, and also like, are you maximizing even the stuff that you are doing? Right. So yeah. in the Cleveland game, and this is data from Sam's article in the post, uh, courtesy of our friends at true media, when the commanders were in 12 or 13 person, Oh, I should say 12 or 13. Cause some of it might've been 22 when they were in two or three tight end sets. Yeah they ran the ball on 21 of 26 plays. Right. And especially when your tight ends are these guys, it's not like you're, you know, you know, not like it's you and John Bates out right. there. You know, mm -hmm. these are guys that are known as pass catchers or were thought to be pass catchers. Uh, it's Cole Turner, it's Logan Thomas, and obviously Bates is in there some as well. Um, but even Bates has shown his ability as a receiver, as you did during your career times. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not like just because you go heavy personnel that you're, stuck in this incredibly run necessary personnel because you got a bunch of dudes out there who can't catch it's not what we're talking about like you can get in that personnel and spread it out or you can get in that personnel and even play action off of it like they just didn't do that enough and that was what made it so frustrating by the way to watch them do that finally in the dallas game they get in that full house pistol formation and you're yeah. like wait now you're just throwing deep yeah you're, you're actually you're subverting expectations yeah you are they didn't even play action they just yeah. was like straight drop back, but they did it out of heavy personnel. And, and the defense is like, wait, what? And you get big plays off of it. And, and they create one-on-one -on -one matchups that we'll talk about later in the podcast when we review house tape. So like the idea that you can do this stuff and you clearly understand its value, but can't or didn't or won't, whatever, whatever verb is supposed to go there, um, it didn't happen during the season with the frequency that good offenses have, and thus you did not get the production of a good offense, is the reason that you are ultimately shown the door, uh, in, in my opinion, is because Scott understands all these things. He's very smart. But as, as I, I go back to the Greg Olson thing on the broadcast this weekend, like he's so creative that sometimes he outsmarts himself. And then sometimes it's just like gets in the rut because it seems like he's got an idea on, in his head and he cannot get to the next step of the idea, which gets back to what you were talking about, about stacking plays, sequencing, mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I agree with everything you said. I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, those are those are the things that I find kind of bothersome, just generally about about the whole thing. And you know, even I, I will say, like in the in the Cleveland game, there was an opportunity for him. He, they did call some play action, but I think what we're talking about is he calls play action out of a formation that they have not been in. Right? It's like, why would you do that? Call it out of the stuff you've been running the football out of. And again, there you try to maybe outsmart yourself a little bit, get to something you don't like. And again, you got to mess with protections. I understand that. But those are those are the things that were that were frustrating. And you know, in this in the um, in the San Francisco game, you're on play 28 before you call any type of play action pass. Again, right. like that probably should have happened earlier because not only are you are you opening up the pass game, but you're also protecting your running game. Like if you're just running the fo- football out of running formations, defenses will key up and tee up on that. You need to give them something else to think about. And the play pass is one of those things. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about Kyle. We talk a lot about Sean. We talk a lot about Kevin O'Connell. They do a great job of, of again, insulating your their runs with play action pass concepts that put the guys in excellent positions to be successful. And I, and I think that that is, that's really the crux of, of, of my, my main criticism of Scott is that that never really happened. And, um, <clears throat> and when it, when it did happen, he did a masterful job of it. So obviously he was capable of it. It just wasn't with the same consistency. And also I think it's important to note that when the players get irritated like this, I think everyone talked about all the players, the players, the players, I think a little bit of it's the time of year it's happening. They're on a losing streak, all this stuff. But I also think it's important to recognize that, if he's lost that locker room, Scott, if he's, if he's lost the confidence yeah. of the locker room, um, which again, Ron went around and talked to all the players. I'm sure he talked to players about Scott and I'm sure yeah, this decision was not come to lightly. Um, if he's lost the locker room, you have to move on. Like even if he was, even if he was showing signs of progression, if Sean has lost the offense, much like a head coach loses the team, a transition needs to be made. And so irrespective of any kind of bright spots Scott had, I think those relationships that were there that were not that, that were obviously souring is obviously a huge factor in this as well. Definitely. And and it should be noted the respect that Ron has for Scott and his family, right? Because right. Ron's Ron's career, I don't say is saved because I, Ron was pretty well thought of for what he did in Chicago uh, before Lovey Smith ultimately fired him like basically yeah. right after the Super Bowl and they, they go to the Super Bowl and then Ron's Ron's looking for a job and who hires him North Turner right and then Ron has a really great run in San Diego and then ultimately gets the Carolina head coaching job off of that winds up bringing Norv back around Scott was already on his staff but he brings in Norv as the OC Scott's the quarterbacks coach and then when they come here uh, Scott gets elevated to the OC so like, there's a lot of respect and family and like look there's a there's a nepotism conversation that can be had uh, about not just this situation but a lot of the NFL um, for on a different podcast who knows maybe that'll be an offseason topic nepotism in the NFL I'm sure that'll do great uh, in terms of the numbers but you know the there is like a human element to the connection here right. and this was this was certainly not an easy decision by Ron Rivera um even if the football decision felt easy, like on a human level, this is a tough decision and it's a tough day because someone lost their job. And, you know, uh, I'll give Scott this too. Like when Norv was the head coach here, Scott kind of grew up here a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, he wasn't here for that long, but you know there were I mean? some, some of his really formative years and he's talked about this. We're here. Like Scott right. considers himself a native of this area and growing up in Ashburn as his dad was the head coach of the Washington franchise. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty big bummer to know that he's like, this is, this probably closes the door on him ever coming back here. Um, you know, who knows where Scott's career goes from here. Everyone's going to be like, why would we come back as, um, 
you know, but he's 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 probably done here, and that that's probably a bummer for him personally. But that's the business. Uh, you know, you have players who have great careers go on to coach for the same organization, and then can turn ugly in in that way. Like yeah. this happens. This happens a lot. Um, and so he gave it his best, and and now here we are. And then uh, in the last five minutes here, Logan, that begs the question: like, where do they go from here? What kind of coordinator do you think takes this job? And also. Like, do you think this is a good job? Because I have gone back and forth on this and I don't know that I'm settled on an answer and I don't know that I will settle on an answer because there's a lot of factors at play here. Yeah, there are a lot of factors. I think the biggest one looming over the decision is the fact that it's like one year. It's a one-year opportunity, right? If, you, if you're good and you win some games, it becomes a two-year thing, but really you're signing up for a year. Right, so you because Rivera's of- going into the final, or not, sorry, the final, fourth or fifth year and new owner is coming. New, uh, yeah, I think, and that's the thing. So he's going to get a year because of the ownership transfer and how things are going to shake out. Um, at least that's the thought anyway. Uh, and I think that makes it not that appetizing of a job, I think, for a lot of people. I think you're going to need to find the right type of guy who's got a family situation that's flexible, who's looking for an opportunity to kind of move up and looking to, to kind of capitalize on a situation. So not great from that standpoint. It'll probably be someone Ron knows and has a lot of familiarity with already. Because I think, and also you want to get somebody who's a little bit more traditional in their offensive uh, approach in terms of kind of a run first, uh, run second kind of kind of deal, which is a little bit more rare now. Obviously, there's guys like Stefanski that do that. The the Atlanta crew is great at doing that. Someone from that tree, the Arthur Smith tree, would be, I think, a nice thought for here. Um, Tennessee, they just fired their OC. But, you know, obviously there's some position coaches there, maybe the O-line coach, someone like that, someone who yeah. is – going to fall in line with the philosophy, someone who understands deeply the marriage of running to pass concept, right? Can kind of, because again, like, and I mentioned a couple outside zone coaches there. One of the reasons teams like outside zone for play pass is because it helps with the play pass protections. Unlike some of these gap scheme runs and counters, which are become a little bit more challenging from a play pass standpoint. So that would be my initial thought. You're going to need someone who's very hungry, Someone who's looking kind of to take whatever opportunity, or someone who's a little bit on the desperate side for for this for this position. I actually wonder if Todd Downing, the OC in Tennessee, is a name that winds up popping up. Um, yeah, I think because that like, would be... hey, we trust him that he's going to run, and he turned around and gave it to Henry a hundred thousand times a season. It yeah. felt like, but they also like manufactured offense at times when it didn't feel like they had a lot of skill talent, um, and also were kind of under. I mean, t- he they, those guys. I mean, look, it was Lafleur, and then it was uh, Smith, and then it was Downing, but like. The resurgence of Tannehill there is pretty impressive considering what he was his final year in Miami. Right, but I do think that that philosophy, that perspective, that vision of what NFL offense is matches up with Ron's vision. And I think that's good. Now, is this a good job from a skill position standpoint? Yes. Is it a good job from an offensive standpoint? I would say not yet. And what I mean by that is they need to do some heavy, heavy lifting with regards to the offensive line. If that if that's who you want to be, if that's what this team is, you really, 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 really need to go out and just find some absolute dogs. If you look at Atlanta, for example, I think this is a really good example of of because they embrace kind of this run first approach, right? right? You have four first round players on that team. They have invested heavily in that offensive line because the most significant factor in running production is offensive line efficiency. And right now, <clears throat> excuse me. The offensive line isn't there yet. I think they they showed signs of it, but you need to upgrade on those in those areas. So um, I think 
you know, probably an offensive lineman in the first round, maybe a big free agent, and probably a guard or a tackle in the later rounds, something to flush this out that makes you feel really confident you can run the ball 30 times a game versus any front. So those are some things that I think make the job instantly more appetizing if you're willing to make that investment. And I do think the coordinator is going to have a big say in those picks. So, Right. So here would be my appetizing argument. If you liked Hal coming out, yeah. you know, you got him. So that, that, and there are certainly going to be coaches that are like, I got a kid with a huge arm who can run in a quick release that seems to have some moxie to him. I could do worse. Right. Um, and that's my floor. I could do worse. Um, now, how he would pick up a new offense and all that kind of stuff is, is obviously an interesting thing, but you know, that's going to be anybody who comes in. Um, and, and potentially any new quarterback. I did have a caller today say, what about Frank Reich? And that lets them keep Wentz. And I was like, please God, no. Um, but it was kind of a funny thought. Um, he's a good coordinator. I mean, no, I mean, I, 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 am more, let me put it this way. I'm more, we'd be more excited about Reich than I would if that meant that, (laughs) um, all due respect to Carson, but, uh, the other side of this, like if you want someone who's a bit of an opportunist, potentially, could you say, I'm going to go in there. This offense is going to cook. The owner is going to like me better yep. and I can take over for Ron in a year. And that's why I like, I, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be Ron's guy, but like someone like that, where Cliff might look at it as like, I could probably learn some stuff from Rivera mm-hmm. and either I could be the head coach there or it goes so well that Rivera stays and then I get to jump somewhere else. Right. So like, I do think if there's any other coaches that wind up on, on, the availability block uh, that fit that profile, that could be an interesting thing. I mean, hilariously enough, like someone like Jay Cruden, um, yeah. if he wanted to get back into it, obviously that's not going to happen here for a million reasons. Um, but like that, that profile of former head coach looking for a really, rebound year, yeah, yeah. and especially if they can bring in someone as kind of an heir apparent, um, that might be appealing to Ron as well. Because I do think if you're, if you're a coach, you can look at this as, a really high ceiling opportunity potentially. Um, and whether you bounce to head coach here or bounce to head coach somewhere else, right. um, there is that possibility because of the skill position guys, you do get a lot of autonomy, which is nice. Um, right. and, and the other thing that um, I'm trying to remember who brought this up today, it might've been standing. It might've been JP. Um, no, it was JP uh, when he was on the show with me uh, on 980. He said, the thing that these conversations always need to start with is there's only 32 jobs right but there's actually less than that that have play calling responsibilities yeah because if you're west phillips in minnesota you're the oc but you're kevin's calling the plays yeah you know there's been rams coordinators that have dealt with this with sean um you know that was the, yeah. the situation with sean and jay here and then sean actually got the play calling duties then left and then jay took him back um so around the league like 20 of these jobs to 18 of these jobs like are we talking half 16 of these jobs actually have play calling responsibilities and this is right. going to be one of them so right. there are appealing elements but the lack of a quarterback the o-line needing to be built and the precarious situation around the coaching staff and ownership are certainly things that are probably negatives yeah. could you see someone sees those things as opportunity sure but i think those are more than likely going to keep the top level candidates away yeah, I agree. I think um, I, I totally agree. But I, I do think they're looking for they're going to have a very specific type of person they're looking for here. And I think that's important to understand. They're going to be looking for someone who's maybe not 
from the, you know, like kind of the traditional trees. I think the Arthur Smith tree, if I was Ron, I would be looking very hard at what they're doing down there because that's the best running football team in the NFL this year. And yeah. again, we talked about the the skill they have on the offensive line, but you know they they figured out a way to use Kyle Pitts in that offense as a receiver. You have two young receiving tight ends. Like there is a that seems like a natural fit. So I would kind of comb that tree over, um, see if there's a quarterback or an offensive line guy there that you could bring up here, and uh, you'll it'll be interesting to see how that clashes with Matt Scow, and and it'll be also be interesting to see if if this coordinator gets some autonomy to bring some pieces with him. Um, you right. know, cause right yeah, now it looks I, like, I'm curious to see what kind of staff changes come in the next couple of days for right. other, other positions. Right. So, um, I guess that's something to keep an eye on really. And, uh, yeah. So is it, is it an appetizing job? No, but I think they, I think they're fortunate to be looking for someone very specific. And I think there's those coaching trees while very good, uh, don't always pop out the most, like, it's not like a Kyle tree or a Sean tree, right? It's mm. Arthur Smith has been very kind of deliberate about his stuff. Someone from there, maybe who knows? Yeah, no, it's a good thought. Obviously if someone from Kyle's tree is available, that's always worth a look. Um, it is interesting. Uh, his last coordinator hire was Del Rio. I mean, obviously Scott, but then Del Rio was on television. Um, that's where yeah. Jack was doing ESPN stuff the year before. Um, and he had, oh, he had had some really good, so leave uh, a comment of the current analysts. Yeah, of the current the... analysts, everyone's going to be like, Orlovsky. No, <laughs> here's here's honestly what everyone's going to get. I was debating whether to do this. Logan, are you going to be the next offensive coordinator? <laughs> these, these are the days. This is the reason why I don't do it. This kind of stuff. Yeah. Honestly, like this is just too like. Well, that and the, the 2 a.m. days where you don't see your kids. Yeah, though. I mean, this is but this is another piece as to why, because like at least I can. I'm pretty secure in my position and not that they would even hire me. Like I'm the, like the least qualified person for this. No, it could. I mean, it'd be pretty funny if they were like, Ron was like, funny. Hey, uh, all right. New OC got in. All right. Uh, by the way, you should go over to the media section and talk to Paulson. I think he could be a good assistant <laughs> tight ends coach. Yeah. There you go. Boom. Uh, all right. Look at that. So next, the rest of the podcast, the thing we yep. recorded this morning when we thought that that was what we were going to be talking about today, but I yep. uh, hope you got some more insight out of this and uh, we'll see you on Friday, although that's something I'm going to tell you again in 45 minutes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, it is Tuesday as we record. A couple of hours ago, Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew sat at a table and answered a bunch of questions from reporters and 
we will talk about what they had to say, uh, and then we will get into the tape. Uh, we will get into how Sam Howell actually performed on Sunday. Uh, now that we've taken a look, uh, to see how look out Chris Paul looked and, and anybody else that you had your particular eye on. Uh, here we are, two, day, two days after the season. How are you feeling, by the way? Feeling good, man. My workload comes way down after the season, so getting to catch my breath a little bit. And, you know, everyone's in a, everyone was in a pretty good mood at the park today, you know, coaches and stuff. So that's always nice because everyone's a little more chatty, a little bit more cordial. So, um, yeah, and then I get to spend some time with the fam. So all good stuff for me. How about you? Everything good? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, also excited for uh, for a little bit lighter workload. Uh, no more pregame. And as much as I love seeing you for Sundays to go work only five days a week is a nice, nice deal. Um, yep. I thought for a second, you'd be like, now I get to spend some time with you. And I was like, oh, that's hard. Oh, your, fam your family. family that's took, also took over for you. Yeah. Also, also good. Uh, we endorsed family time here on Take <laughs> All right. So I want to talk a little bit about some of what was said today um, at the podium by Rivera specifically. And just kind of this general thought that we are now at the time of the year where we look back and we go, we have all the data, yeah. right? We're no longer in awaiting more information mode. And Ron was pretty coy about everything today, in part because, like, they don't meet. With one of the first things that they said in this press conference is, like, we're not meeting with ownership till Monday. Well, mm. if they haven't met with ownership, like, they can't do anything. They can't really right. fire coaches or um, talk about anything because they don't know what the financial state and the budgetary elements of the club are. And as boring as that is, like, that's a realistic part of how these decisions get made and, and what happens over the next couple of weeks. And when they talk about players and all this kind of stuff, but we are at a point where all the games have been played and Ron was asked about quarterback, obviously multiple times. And um, one of the things was like, are you going to go about and reevaluate the process, which landed you on a guy in Carson Wentz, who obviously did not work out. And I am pretty frustrated by the defense of that process. And I think there's two elements to this. And I apologize for the long setup, but there's two elements to this. One is the negotiations themselves, which seem to, based off the ESPN story in October, have been influenced by ownership. That ownership pushed getting a deal done sooner rather than later, which meant less negotiations. And the Colts ultimately acquiring a lot for Carson Wentz when they were otherwise going to cut him. That is bad business. That is bad negotiation. I have no problem saying that there might've been circumstances that led to them doing that. And ultimately if they think they like, if they get it right, then nobody cares. And, and so, well, I have no problem saying that's bad business. And by the way, I am none too surprised that Dan Snyder did bad business based off of his business dealings, his business track record over the years in a multitude of other businesses. Fine. But there's also the part that I want to talk about with you, which is the football part. And I understand how they got there and thought that maybe at the time Carson based off what he was last year, the nine straight wins, even if it ended poorly, that he could have been an upgrade over what they had. But when it doesn't work out that way, I would appreciate more reflection on how they made that mistake so that they don't do that same thing again. And it doesn't seem like they even want to acknowledge that they made a mistake. <clears throat> so I think this is like one of the problems with with our profession just in general and, and it's it's a problem with a lot of stuff right is you you are like we have the benefit of all of this new information we have the benefit of how many months of data like i mean when did they pick them oh, i'd say seven months six months whatever right. it is right they, they traded for them in in early march 
And I think at the time I was not overly stoked about Carson Wentz. I know the stuff I did for the team kind of pointed out some things that I thought he did well, but I also had some pretty major reservations about what he did. However, I think if you look back at the timing of that decision and operate it under this assumption, like we're going to like proof, like a logical proof, the team needed a quarterback. They needed to upgrade at the quarterback position, right? Now, right. I was at the time very adamant that like maybe Jamison Winston, Andy Dalton, Jacoby Brissett, like that type of guy would be the move. And then you draft a young guy that you felt good about, right? Like even if right. it's a like second or third round, which is kind of what they did like in a roundabout way. They just got him they, later. Yeah, Sam Howell, right? So that was kind of my my thought process this offseason. They didn't do what I thought. They went out and they, they paid a, a good amount of money. And, and even that $28 million, I know that seems like a lot of money. Um, you know, right now, the current market value for a quarterback is like $40 million. So even though it seems like a lot of money based on market value, it's probably a little bit less than what you would pay for like a Derek Carr, for example. Right. Right. So they needed a quarterback. I think they really, really wanted to get Jimmy Garoppolo. I think you've, you've told me that it sounds like all the reports indicate that's what it is. Right, Craig? Yeah, no, there, there was some reporting that Garoppolo was the guy that they wanted. This came out. I don't know if it was right before week one. Schefter had it and Ron like, every, and that's the other thing too, by the way, that like influences the way I feel about this. If I'm being honest, is like every time Ron was challenged on Carson this year, like Ron lost his stuff. Like he was so emotional about it. It just didn't seem rational or responsible, but that's, that's kind of, I guess kind of a different thing, but yes, Garoppolo was the guy they wanted. It well, I think, like I think it was up, Russell, Russell Wilson. Well, Garoppolo. yeah, they wanted they they basically went down the list, and and part of I guess the on the business side is like it seems like they went down the list and never really adjusted. Like, ah, we're we'll trade this much for a quarterback, right? right yeah. Well, it's yeah. Russell Wilson. All right, cool. Nope, nope. It's uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Up, oh, nope. It's Carson Wentz. All right, trade the quarterback stuff, and it's like we're not getting the same guy in return. But it seems like Jimmy maybe even gotten the surgery. Like this, this is yet to be reported. But if you like do the math. It seems like Jimmy was potentially being traded here, and he was like, "I think I'm going to get surgery." Right. That's. And, I mean, that's uh, what it felt like based yeah, on the and, report. Right. I, based off the timing and everything, and and he he weaseled his way out, and uh, he's not here. Good for him. Um. So I, but I think like so we both acknowledge that you needed a quarterback, right? And so when sure. you kind of go through that, like again, I was that Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton type guy, right? A kind of another bridge guy. I think there was probably a little bit of like fan calculus on like. The fans would kill us if we don't kind of make a bigger move in the offseason. So really the next like big name, the next kind of most talented guy on that list is Carson Wentz. And again, at the time, I think we both were like kind of hemming and hawing about how effective he was going to actually be. But, you know, when you did the research, you guys said, oh, you know, big arm, push the football down the field. That's what Scott wants to do, blah, 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 blah. So maybe it is going to be the right fit. In terms of what they gave up, I think at the time we both thought that was too much, right, to give up two thirds. Yeah. But I also think there was this, there's this remembering back, there was this kind of desperation almost that they needed to get somebody and every single person that they propositioned basically was like, no. So this was an opportunity for them to ensure getting someone. And because right. of where Washington is and because of kind of the circus, media circus that the organization has been over the last 10 years, you are going to need to pay a premium. So that's kind of what I chalked that up to. You know what? Another organization. I'm not disagreeing to, with right. any of this. So I'm not disagreeing with how they felt at the time, the approach, whatever. What I'm saying is, we now have the benefit of hindsight. It would be nice if they used it. So what I'm what I'm saying though is, I think it's it's good by them to say leading up to that, leading up to the decision, there's nothing that we would have done differently, and I don't, and I would probably agree with that. But now I'm sure with the benefit of hindsight, 
I mean, they're not dumb people. Obviously, they wouldn't have sure. done it. But, it, but in terms of the process, <clears throat> I think the process is not necessarily what I would have done. Again, I said I would have gone for someone a little bit cheaper to start, right? Someone kind of to fill out like high-end backup, low-end starter type guy. Another another Ryan Fitzpatrick, basically, right? But they went big. I think they had. To, I think they felt they had to do it because of the fan situation, right? And they felt like they kind of had to strike while the iron was hot because I think they felt the roster was a little bit ahead of where it was. Holes in specific areas. We can talk about that later. But in terms of that process, I can see the logical train as to how they got there. Now, obviously, are we disappointed with the result? Like, I think that's intuitively obvious, yes. But I do think ultimately that that process at the time is, I don't want to say flawless, because it's definitely not flawless, but it well, and there are reasons as to why you get there. That's kind of what I'm getting to, though, is like, we don't have to give them credit anymore for the thing at the time. We know now it didn't work. And I'm not even, uh, let me rephrase. I'm not trying to take away their credit for how they did it at the time. I'm trying to fix the process so that they don't do the same thing again. Okay. Because that, to, to say to say that they would go through the same process again right now and do the Wentz thing again, that's ridiculous because he clearly didn't work. So what I would appreciate from them is some acknowledgement that we missed something in the evaluation. There are reasons why Carson didn't work here beyond we got unlucky because that seems to be the line right now. It's like, uh, just we didn't get lucky. You know, the injury uh, it didn't work out. You know, Terry's contract, they weren't on the same page. It's like Sam didn't throw a ball to Terry all year, and then he threw a couple of beauties, uh, including his first NFL pass, which is a timing route that he throws in stride, and Terry walks into the end zone from 20 yards out. So, like, I don't. Uh, that's not to say that like I'm just taking too much out of one. I'm not trying to take too much out of one small sample size with Sam or any of these other things, but I'm just saying you had six games where Carson started at the beginning of the year and it was bad. And he came in in the biggest game of the year and laid a total egg. And we can talk about, and we have, we've spent hours talking about some of the reasons why, where some of your circumstances are your offensive coordinator and he do not see the game the same way. Um, and your offensive coordinator did not create a properly insulated atmosphere for your quarterback that you acquired to succeed. But like, I'd like some reflection on that mm -hmm. because if they just go into this offseason thinking we got unlucky, they'll do the same thing again and the results will be the same. What they miss is they put too much of a premium on arm strength. What they miss is that they should have done more on decision making. What they should have done is a little bit more maybe paying attention to some of the talk about the mental toughness stuff and not to say that Carson's like weak or a bad guy, but when things got hairy, he had trouble pulling himself out of it. And that is something that was a known commodity, not just by, you know, people inside the game, like by anyone who yeah. knew anything about Carson Wentz. And so they need to reconfigure their formula for what they're looking for at quarterback, or they're going to do the same thing again with a guy with a different name. And that's, that's what I'm talking about is, I'm not trying to take away their credit for making a move at the time or whatever. I'm trying to say, how come there is not acknowledgement that while it might have seemed solid then, it was actually the wrong move and we need to reevaluate and figure out where the holes were in our formula so that we can do better this time around. Yeah, so I guess that's what I'm saying. Like you're kind of getting to the crux of talent evaluation and quarterback specifically, right? And so like I think this is a very relevant conversation because we're going to be doing draft stuff here, right? Yes. And so what you run into 
and this is something that was really interesting to me, like going to the combine last year and, and doing my own draft evaluation, calling my old buddies and talking through stuff, is that certain things, there, there's no surefire thing. There's no surefire thing, right? There's no surefire thing. There's not even like a 80% thing. Like you just don't know till you know, right? You can kind of mitigate some of that risk, whatever, whatever, whatever. I do think to your point about the talent evaluation, look at what they evaluated in Sam Howell and look at that decision. And I say that's probably more in line with the type of quarterback that they actually want. Does that make sense what I'm saying? They right. like He's the got release. A little bit more they ability. like the arm. Yeah. They, all those things are, I think, is what they want. I think the problem, this is one of the one problem with free agency, and it's a problem with the draft too, is that you are limited in terms of what's available, right? You're limited sure. in terms of the type of player that's available. Like, in, And if you think about it, let's say Jimmy was ahead of them, ahead of Carson, based on that report. No one in the building has told me anything different, but based on the report, I forget who wrote it that came out. Yeah, Chef. Jimmy has an excellent release. He's an excellent decision maker. Like those are two of his best qualities. So it makes sense that you would prioritize him over Carson. The problem is that as you keep moving down, your the the margin for error becomes greater, right? There's still good qualities in that player, but the risk becomes more, right? So I think that in this in this last free agent cycle, I think that's what I would say is that as some of those big pieces came off the board and you're left with Carson, right? Then that's that's the third guy on your board because I I can't even remember who else was available after him, but it was kind of like oh it's it your Dalton's your Jameis's yeah. and Jameis went back to New Orleans quickly. Ultimately, Dalton winds up in New Orleans too, like all that stuff. Marcus Mariota, but I guess I guess Logan. So, so I let me would, just finish yeah. that thought. So I will say that I think that they that their type is probably going to look a lot more like Sam Howell as opposed to Carson Wentz, but because of the free agent landscape. They kind of had to make a decision, and that, and again, that decision I think is also impacted by the climate of the fan base and the market at the time as well. I think too. This fan base will get behind a correct decision because the correct decision will help you win. And I think when owners and fans, or owners and coaches, get too much into what the fans want, that's a bit silly. And by the way, if they thought the fans would be excited about Carson Wentz, they horrendously missed on that. But I, uh, but I do think like in talking with fans and talking with people that I work with who are really diehard, smart football fans talking with you, there was this kind of call amongst, I, I'd say not a, uh, not an insignificant part of the fan base that said, we cannot do the the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing again, even though that sure. probably was the right decision. But like that, but then they kind of did like, but they Carson... didn't though. They didn't. Like, Carson's think about, 30. Think about the person you're talking about here. I, I agree. It's not perfect. But you, in terms of high upside potential starting value, like I think that's a big – like Carson's obviously different than anybody else on the market from a physical tool standpoint, right? He's obviously better. Right. But I guess I guess this, so this is what I was going to say a minute ago. If your big board is Madden ratings, you're not actually doing evaluation, right? Like you can't – to me – You've actually encapsulated the problem here, which is if they looked at it and were like, we want a guy with a quick quick release and good decision-making, oh, the guy we want is not available, let's go to Carson Wentz, as opposed to going to the next guy with the next quickest release and the be next best decision-making, you're not doing it right. Like, you're not just looking for a quarterback with random physical traits. You're trying to execute your game plan. And Ron seems to have a very clear game plan. By the way, so does Scott. Those are not the same thing. That yeah. that is layered over all of this. Yeah. But if you're telling me 
we need a quarterback that does these two things above all else. And then you go get a guy whose pedigree might be better than other options, but does not do those two things particularly well. You failed the evaluation. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think this is a huge element, right? At some point, the drop off in the trait that you're looking for is going to be significant, is going to lead to a significantly, like, let's say, for example, uh, this is not a great example, but Nick Mullins, for example. Do you know who mm-hmm. that is? Anybody know this? Yeah. He was the backup in San Francisco when I was there. He's got a lightning quick release. He's an excellent decision maker. But he is a couple steps down the ladder in terms of quarterback play because he lacks elite arm strength, right? So at some point, the trait you're looking for becomes so diminished in that group of people that you have to say, well, even though this guy's decision-making isn't as good, even though the, the release isn't as good with Carson – Let's just use him as a as a comparison. He adds more to the table because he's got these physical tools, right? So that's where right. the evaluation gets weird. And it's not. I'm not saying they might have done the matter or anything. I have no idea what their process looked like. No, I'm what just, you're saying makes a lot more sense yeah, and is right. probably a lot more correct than like raw raw score athleticism, if you will. Right. Yeah. I, but I guess then, see, this is why I want to have this conversation because now I think we reached the point that we're like we come together in the middle on something that makes the yeah. most sense in terms of fair criticism, credit where it's due, etc. Right. What I would have appreciated today then is kind of an acknowledgement that we thought the traits Carson had right. were going to make up for some of the things that, you know, maybe other guys that we had looked at uh, had that were better, quicker release, whatever. And and I don't know that they're, they're not going to, they're also not going to kill Carson on the way out. And I respect right. that too. And like Ron is too decent of a human being and too loyal of a human being to, to go into too much depth here. Right. But some sort of acknowledgement. That was they did that evaluation and they thought Carson's arm strength and whatever other attributes they thought were positive could make up the difference between he and Heineke, who ultimately mm-hmm. is the sec- next guy there. Yeah. That that was an incorrect assessment that, yeah. hey, we realized, you know, now with the benefit of hindsight that in our offense, the way we executed, the way we ran it the mobility and the decision-making and the quicker release and the quicker processing time, we undervalued those things in a way that caused us to make a decision that didn't work out. It's something we'll take into the next evaluation moving forward. Right. Acknowledging I, that yeah. would have been, I don't think there's a problem with that. I right. think you can do a version of that today and not sound, I mean, I don't know how to say it, like not sound aloof. Like, oh, yeah, actually, we just got unlucky. Like, no, you didn't. You made a mistake. It's okay. People make mistakes. This business is really hard. And that's something yeah. I will always acknowledge. And I'm, and I'm glad that you've come back to that multiple times because evaluating quarterback is really difficult for a number of reasons. Yeah, it's tough. Including the fact there's not enough of them. There's yeah. 32 NFL teams, and there's not 32 high-caliber starters. Correct. There's not even 32 starting calibers. Yeah. Um, There's kind of like 15 to 17, and then like, the Taylor Heineke low end starter, high end backup for like the next 15 to 20 guys. And you're talking about your David Blouse, your, you know, your Nick Mullins, your Taylor Heineke's and also your Carson Wentz's. And so I think that is like that acknowledgement that, Hey, we need to maybe we need to double check and make sure that we're rating the right traits in our process. And we got a little astray on that last year. And it costs us like, you can say that today and, that feels better and it feels like you know what you're doing versus uh we got unlucky it's yeah i i agree, I agree. 
you know, it's interesting um, in talking with Ron over the course of the season, he is very aware of what he, he's more aware of what he can't say as opposed to what he can say. Right. So like to That's me, a, yeah. the thing that they missed with Carson, this is me and me alone saying this, nothing, no, no one from the organization has told me this is I think they overestimate his ability to learn this offense. Right. Mm. Because if you talked with guys over the course of the season, they're like, well, he's not quite there yet. He's not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. Right. So to me, that's something that it would be very hurtful if Ron were to say something like that in the pressure. Right. So it's not like, how can I say something like, like you said, you put it very eloquently there. Like, you know, it didn't go the way you want it. I think I he's speak really... for a living. He doesn't. So yeah, I you... also acknowledge that sometimes these kind of things come pretty easy to me and. Right. And you, you put it really nicely. But for him, I think he's thinking like, oh, I can't say this. And that's the thing I want to say. So I'm just going to say something very vanilla and soft. Um, again, that's an assumption. I don't know. I don't I haven't talked around about this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So but that's what I would say is that like sometimes I know I do that. I say, oh, I can't. This is what I want to say, but I can't say this. So I'm just going to say something really soft. I think there might be something there. I agree with you. I think an acknowledgement to say, hey, you know, like we trusted our process at the time. Obviously, we overestimated these things. But I, I think you bring up a good point that they don't want to light Carson on fire as he's leaving this thing. Yeah, and you know he I mean? doesn't deserve that. Yeah. Um, but I also think that you can, I guess, I guess why it really, like getting to the bottom of why it irks me so much yeah. is even if you're completely nondescript, can you just acknowledge you made a mistake? Right. And it feels like there's a lot of times where Rivera has gone to the podium and kind of skirted responsibility and this is so and there's times he's taken it so i'm not right. i'm not saying that it's 100 percent one way or the other but like ron rivera is the team president like he's yeah. the president of football operations you're the guy and so when you're like oh well maybe that like at the end of the day you just got to own it and, yeah. and taking responsibility is going to help like making yourself take that responsibility is going to lead to better process moving forward and yeah. it also is the thing that you should do to to instill confidence in not only the fan base but everyone else in the organization who's watching yeah and i will say i've had conversations with people around the building uh when i'm there you know and the stuff that's going on there is like so deep and like even though we talk a lot about the team we have all these like perceived insights you know we watch the film or whatever like they mm. are dealing with stuff that like is not even on anybody's radar you know that like i can never mention on this show like it's just like it's just a, a bigger picture. So for them, like that is something that, that they're contractually ob obligated to do. And as long as it doesn't go terribly, like they're okay with it. I, I think, you know, that's just my kind of thought about it. That's how it was for me when I was playing. Every coach, you know, keep things in house. And I, and I think there's an element of that to the pressure. I, I do agree uh, as a fan of the team, it would have been nice to kind of acknowledge that, hey, this didn't go exactly the way we wanted it to. And I think you articulated that very nicely. But I, I don't think, I don't think it's fair to say that the, the process or the circumstance that got them to the decision in the first place was flawed. Like, I think what you're, you, what you want to say is that like we've learned from this, from this, we've, we've added to our process or we've learned or whatever the thing is. I don't know. Like, I, the night they traded him, I went on the radio and said, this is a terrible mistake. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I think, so. I think I said also, like I was not, like I said earlier, like I didn't love it, but I think it's not about what I love. It's about putting yourself in the perspective of the team and putting yourself in a position where you say, is that a totally insane thing or is there some merit to it? And I no. think you know, right. and, and I'm not saying you did this, but that's what we're that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to shift my perspective to that of them at the time they made the decision. And when I do that, I'm like, well, if you factor all these things in, then 
I understand how they got here. And I think also, I think that this can't be overstated. It's just when t- people do not want to come play for this team, you have to do things that are a little bit extreme. And I think that also factors in here in a way that no one will ever acknowledge coming out of that building. It'll never come out, even though that's kind of uh, an undercurrent of every conversation in free agency since even I was here. Yeah, no, that is true. And hopefully that is something, an era, so to speak, that is coming to an end because there's going to be an ownership change come the NFL meetings in March. Unfortunately, that is after the majority of the free agent signings this year. But maybe, I don't know, it's something that um, I I definitely want to try to have some of the former agents like your J.I. Hallsells and Joel Corey's um, who are now in media on the show and and talk about that with them. Like, if you're a free agent going to Washington, are you operating under the assumption that Dan won't be there and that things are going to change and get better? Uh, and is that a good thing? Or are you just waiting? Are you not? Is like the ownership uncertainty actually a negative because you just don't know what it's going to be? So there's there's a lot to that conversation. We have the whole offseason to discuss as that story comes out. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Greg Hoffman, Logan Paulson with you. All right. The other side of this, though, is like, how much do we actually trust them to do the evaluating period? And there's been a lot of talk over the last week about this because uh, Sam, Sam Howell, the word out of the building was he wasn't ready. He's not this. He's not that. He goes out and plays pretty well. So a lot of fans, and again, whether this is right or wrong, is kind of beside the point, but a lot of fans are asking the question, well, like, how do we trust them on the evaluation in the first place? So let's get into the tape. Right. How did Sam play? And then we can maybe circle back around to some of that conversation. Right. So yeah, let's just, let's start with that, that thing you said first about like him not being ready. Like they hadn't said anything about him since like week six, right? There was a, and so there was kind of this prevailing theory that that was still going on. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of the reason that I, kind of was like, hey, let's just pump our brakes here because I'm also trying to manage expectation for the individual, right? Like, I want to give him an opportunity to, like, have a fair shake. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it goes terrible, I don't want people to burn him to the ground. If it goes great, I think people also need to understand that as well. So just as that kind of getting that out there. Um, In terms of the film, I think obviously there were some things physically that were just awesome. Quick release, decisive throw, strong arm, things we talked about post-game. I think the the thing that I undervalued from him from college is his ability to run at this level. I think when you look at, you know, we mentioned Daniel Jones, when you look at, he's not this type of runner, but Jalen Hurts, like when you have a quarterback who can run, 
is it's a tremendous value add for the offense. And I think that, you know, we're talking about quarterbacks and, you know, what's the answer moving forward. That is a significant checkbox for him going in the, in the next year. Cause if you can steal five first downs on scrambles and you can sneak in another five quarterback runs and he's going to be healthy, like that's a huge deal for this offense, which is kind of, you know, middling with an identity crisis because you can make plays off schedule. So all that stuff, very, very positive, And it gets me excited about him moving forward. I will say Scott, to his credit, did a good job of basically designing very simple stuff for him to do. There was nothing overly complex. Like the touchdown is mesh, right? Every single person runs mesh. They run in high school. They run in college. They have a high familiarity with it. That's like their number one short yardage red zone play. They like it a lot. He should be able to execute that. Excellent throw to Terry. A little bit of pressure. Love how quickly the ball gets there. But still, it's a relatively simple. There's a slant to Dehan. That's a dragon concept. That's like day one install stuff, right? Very simple read. Nothing overly complex. There's the completion of Jahan on the hitch. That's literally a one-man route. You just pick a side. I like this matchup on this side, on the left side, or I like this side up, this side, this matchup on the right side, and I'm going to trust my receiver to win. Throws with excellent anticipation. Love that. But in terms of the processing, they're, that's very truncated. The long ball to Terry, the long completion to Terry, that is essentially this exact same play, but instead of a hitch, he's running a go. It's He's reading one person on a vertical route. Do you win? Yes or no? I'm going to throw the ball there. So again, easy throws. Then there's the choice to Jahan. Scott Turner did an excellent job designing that play, motioning the running back out of the backfield. They're in, I think they're in quarters. Yes, they're in quarters. The middle linebacker has to match the three receiver side, creating a huge void. And Jahan absolutely just murders the poor nickel in that kind of ball that he caught over the field. So like if you watch Howell's eyes, they are fixated on that player. Again, you love that he's finding throwing windows. You love the release. You love that he's leading the receiver, ball placement, all that stuff's excellent. But some of the concerns that I had were about his ability to process um, an NFL offense. And I'm not sure that those questions were answered, but I think he shows, he showed you enough of his physical stuff to see why people were talking about him being the best player in college football in 2021, I believe. Yes, 2021. Yeah. So here's my question, though. They scored 26, and yep. they should have scored over 30 if Sly hits some kicks that he normally hits. And if they, you know, if Sam throws the ball seven feet higher uh, out of the end zone and they get another right. field goal instead of the interception, um, like, how complex does an NFL offense need to be? And, and I think, like, these are some of the questions that we ask, not just in this game, but all year. It's like, well, if the simple stuff worked, why we got to do more? Like, mm-hmm. you, you can, and, and it kind of just goes to the offensive philosophy that I think the Kyles, the Shans, and the Kevins, yep. and, and the Andy Reeds have of, like, how do we get to our simple stuff that we execute really well and put it in fancy clothes? Like, how do we dress it up, make it look more yeah. complex than it is, and then have pretty simple stuff that, like, yeah, George Kittle's running wide open across the middle of the field again. It's a pretty easy read. Just fake here, fake here, boom. Because you use motion, you use formations, you use personnel to create matchups. And, like, if they can do this with Sam Howell in Week 18 against a Cowboys team that was playing to win, yeah. Um, like, how how big of a deal is it that he can't do more if you can be this productive, because at the end of the day, like process is important, but over time, the ability to actually produce results is what, what you're looking for. And they produce Sunday, arguably better than they had since week one. 
the Jacksonville game? Right. <clears throat> so a couple things here. Let's. Uh, that's a really good point. First off, I'm not saying he can't do it. He just didn't show right. in the game yeah, yeah. that he can do it. And I think he's done some good stuff in practice, right? Distributing the football. We've talked about it. And, uh, you know, like when I watched the film on Sundays before the game, like, you know, he, he's shown stuff that you feel good about, but he didn't show it in this game. However, I do think that you bring up a good point. And the other thing I want to point out is a lot of these vertical concepts that Scott has been advocating are all of a sudden like much more alive. And it's for kind of an unexpected reason. And again, like this is one of those things where you add information to your quarterback evaluation folder is his arm, like we talked about, is a little bit less than Carson's, right? But more than Taylor's. But his release is probably in that Taylor-Heineke kind of range. And his ability to quickly release the football down the field all of a sudden made that protection look very good, which the protection itself was was very good, you know, independent of him. But that ability to get the ball out of your hands quickly is something that Carson didn't have the ability to do, which really affected negatively affected the O-line. And I think that is something that, again, maybe some of those simpler, deeper reads are more viable because he does have that quick release, because he does have that arm talent. So, you know, the, the offense can kind of be what Scott wanted it to be with Carson or, or whatever it is, you know. So th that's something that I, I wanted to call attention to. And also, like, I think the other thing is it can be simple because he adds value as a runner. Like if you look at um, right. the Giants, the Giants, for example, and we're going to make a lot of comparisons here because I think that's a very good analogous kind of team at the moment. Um, like they don't they don't do stuff that's overly complex. They do stuff that's schemed up to beat the defense that they're playing. But it's not like they're running, you know, they run 70 plays. It's not like they're running 40 independent pass plays. They come back to stuff they like. They're probably running in like the 15s or 20s. So it doesn't need to be overly complex. Um, and especially because he can get you some stuff on third down if they do cover it, right? And then that's something that they have to account for and they have to manage. So his ability as a runner, I think, is very, very valuable. And um, and the, the the release element is something that, again, I probably undervalued in my evaluation of every quarterback I've ever evaluated. But to see it in the game with him, again, is a really nice add, and it allows you to do some simpler stuff because the arm talent, because the mobility. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I guess the frustration, I'm, I've maybe I've been swimming too much in comments and calls and everything this week. It's just is, you know, you hear Carson's ready. He's going to do this thing X, and then Taylor, and then Sam's not ready, or he's not even a part of the thing. And then all of a sudden, after the year, Martin Mayhew sits down today and he's like, yeah, we really like what we saw from Sam in practice. And it's just like, so when you're, you're getting really bad quarterback play in the middle of the year, this guy wasn't a, a, a consideration at all when he goes out and, and shows. And, you know, again, there's multiple layers to this. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, even though I kind of just did. But like, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that Scott's game planning and play calling plays a huge role in this. The health of certain players plays a huge role in this. But when you don't have, when, when we're told all year, like, oh, if we had just had Brian Robinson in the first, you know, six weeks of the season, it would have been different. You didn't have Brian Robinson in this game. You know, Antonio Gibson's not here in this game. And you have the quarterback who allegedly, like, wasn't up to the level of the other two. And you go out and you put out your best offensive performance of the season. It's just, it's frustrating. It's a small sample size. And it's one defense. Maybe it's a good matchup. Maybe, you know, they, Dallas plays coverages that Hal sees well. Um, maybe, you know, whatever reason this offensive line matched up well against the specific styles of rushes, uh, and, and 
traits of that defensive line. If you go face Philadelphia where you beat him with Heineke, you would have gotten smoked with Hal and the same mm-hmm. crew, right? Like that, that is the kind of thing that needs to happen. You know, for one thing that, that we talked about on, on Sunday, Dallas didn't pressure as much as we thought they would. Yes. You know, if you go against the Lions and they heat you up at an absurd rate, does it go poorly for Sam mm-hmm. Howell? So it's I think that sort of stuff is important to point out. Is like this is one day, one matchup. But I do oh. think it there's some it, it does if you're looking for something definitive, it pokes a f- couple holes in some of the things that we've been told about the season at large that you just Oh, we can't possibly be expected to succeed without this thing or that thing, and it's like, well, you did. Well, also, I think it's it's critical. This is this is maybe the single most important thing in this game is just the game flow. You know, like they the punter drops the punt. You make yeah. The they never played the a snap under pressure offensively. Yeah, it, I mean, it was they were in a very good field. Like that's one thing that I, I someone called to my attention. They had the worst starting field position of any team in the NFL this year, and you know we had. Um, What's his name? Uh, Warren, Warren Sharp, Sharp talking about how important field position is for offensive success. That's something they were talking about. Literally every every um, every every spot I was at in the in the league, like just how important starting field position was. Like your punt team, your special teams, like so critical. And for whatever reason, we really struggled in that department. And this is the a game where our field position was excellent, and you got to see a more manageable, more comfortable offense. You got to see a team that didn't have to press for anything, right? There was this kind of conservative running approach for certain set stretches of the game, and you never felt like the game was going to be out of your reach at any moment. So there's nothing crazy you need to do, and you can call these chunk plays with relative anonymity because you can call these excellent protections and off-the-play pass. So I do think that that is probably something that a lot of people are forgetting today. It's just the game flow allowed you to throw 19 passes, Right. It allowed you to throw 19 passes. You didn't have to stress. You didn't have to put him out there. You could be conservative. And I think that's also something, you know, we, we, we were very critical of Scott, or we have been, you know, I think rightfully so to a certain extent. But it's also important to remember, like, if you do have the worst starting field position in the NFL, it's very likely that your offense is not going to be very good, just statistically speaking. And so all of those things, I think, were kind of tipped in Sam's favor yesterday. And I think that, that to me, is, is incredibly significant. And like you said, maybe the matchup versus a different team or versus a different Dan Quinn philosophy leads to a different result. That's totally understandable as well. But I also think the game flow is something that like teams don't pressure as much in the red zone. They just don't. And so you start two drives in the red zone, you're not going to see a lot of pressure. And I think yeah. that that element is something that fans have kind of put from their mind. Like they were up 14 to nothing, 13 to zero off of middling offensive production. Middling. And then they got a pick six. They're up, what is that, you know, 20 to 6 for a while. Then Sam has an opportunity to make some chunk plays. Like, that, to me, is a very significant variable in all of this. All right, so end of the day, where does he fit into the quarterback equation for this team going into the offseason? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I think he showed you enough. If if you put your Sam Howell glasses on, put, put them on. I know we got a lot of people wanting to do it, right? If you put your Sam Howell glasses on, the release, the arm strength, the mobility – Kind of the moxie element he showed in the game. I think the I would post game speech. Uh, yeah, uh. I would not be surprised if the staff was kind of like he could be our guy next year. If that's the case, they still need to bring in a veteran of some kind, which we talked about yeah. in the post game show. You need to bring in 
you know, your Andy Dalton, your Jacoby Brissett, someone who can win you some games, who is a good mentor for the young guy. I think this is just my opinion, but I think that could be a solution here, right? I think that that's a viable thing. Now, if they win, I don't, I, I don't think they draft a guy now anymore based on that performance. They could go out and go a little bit higher, like a little higher profile free agent and say, that's our starter. But I do think you, I get the vibe that they're like, we kind of want to see if Sam can grow into something more, which is based on the performance. I think totally warrants it. Again, you got to kind of look at it from like the Sam Howell perspective. And mm-hmm. I think that's appropriate based on the performance. But yeah, I could see them saying he's going to be the guy and we're going to bring in a starter to kind of compete slash mentor slash win us some games if he's further behind in our develop than we thought, development than we thought. And if you take off your Sam Howell glasses, they could still draft a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, I mean, like let's say, let's say for example, you're picking at 16, and they find out Bryce Young, I don't know, has like elbow tendonitis or something, and he slips you at 16. Like, I'm probably taking Bryce Young. You know, like yeah. that. He's a heck of a football player. I think mean, he's more of a sure thing than Sam is. But obviously, that's a very. I don't think they're going to actively try to trade up. I don't think they're going to actively search for a free agent high-profile quarterback like they did this year with a big price tag. I think that this offseason is going to look much different from that perspective. And I was talking to, again, some of my coworkers, and one of the things that we kind of settled on is think about if you make a ton of investment, you invest in the secondary, you make multiple investments along the offensive line. This roster is going to look pretty good. And think about your old Seattle Seahawks rosters, right, where they've got an excellent defense, an excellent offensive line and decent skill position players and a rookie Russell Wilson, like that could sustain and support a pretty dynamic offensive defensive team. Now, is it going to win you a Super Bowl? Probably not, but could it win you a Super Bowl the next year? Maybe. Like yeah. that's kind of what you're talking about. If you Sam Howell glasses on, say we upgrade the offensive line, we get you got to get in like the top five range of offensive line, top ten under this kind of hypothesis, which is doable. First round tackle. Cosby bumps into guard. Uh, Chris Paul takes a big jump. Left tackles Leno very solid. Find someone to play center. Like, and that 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 right tackle is a dog. Like, I mean, look at Tristan Wirfs. He came in and is probably the a top five right tackle in the NFL. He's elevated that Tampa Bay offensive line dramatically. If you get something like that happening, that's it's a it's a very plausible solution. Now, there's a lot of what ifs there. You got to hit on a lot of picks, do some stuff, make some moves, but. Right perspective, tilt your head the right way, the opportunity is there. Take Man Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right. Uh, as far as some of the other young guys, let's start with Chris Paul. How do you yeah. play on Sunday? You know, Chris is a guy who's big, really big, really strong. Um, when he plays with good technique, he he flashes, man. You see it. And he, he showed you enough in the same way. So Sam Howell showed all the physical traits, right? And he showed that the game wasn't necessarily too fast for him, which I loved. Um, I felt like Sam Howell showed more if you're comparing him to Chris Ball. I think Chris Ball had his flashes. He played solid. But I also thought there were times where you saw him, the game felt a little fast for him, like his get off specifically, a little behind the other guys, um, you know, kind of reading the defensive tackle as opposed to dictating to the defensive tackle. But the strength the power, um, the explosiveness from the hips is there, but not all the time. And again, we've talked about this. The thing that separates, uh, you know, average offensive players or average players in the NFL from great offensive players is the consistency with which they can execute at a high level. And so he showed you enough 
that you say, gosh, if he has a good offseason, he could be the starting left guard next year. But he's got to there there he's not there yet. But you're you're I will say in this staff's credit, you're counting on growth, and they've been able to predict that growth very nicely. And I think he's a good candidate for that approach, if that makes sense. Like if you had a Jamin Davis award. Right. Yeah. You're yeah, exactly right. You're 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 a big turnaround guy, more like larger role, maybe struggles the first two or three weeks of 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 next season, but then hits his stride and becomes a a very solid piece of that group moving forward. I think that's very, very uh, plausible. Uh, What about Percy Butler? Yeah, man, I think, you know, Percy Butler uh, did a great job. Larger role. The thing that I really liked about Percy is he's played, you know, a fair amount on defense. He's, you know, made, made some plays. He's been out there, but he's always looked a little bit tepid, looked a little bit conservative. And that was just not even a thing for him. Like it was so fun to watch him, throw his face in there, the way he ran to the football. Like you got to see that guy in college who's like running past his teammates to make a tackle, running downhill so fast that the tackle has to block him instead of blocking somebody else. Like he just deserves a ton of credit, again, for just being a more confident football player. And now you taught, you mentioned this, and I think this is really good insight. Like this game doesn't really mean anything so they can be as fast and as free as they want to be. And I'm, I'm glad that I got to see that, that he has that in the bag. And then you kind of say to yourself, well, that's a really nice add in the back end if he can continue to grow because Cam, again, becomes even more an even more flexible chess piece. Um, DeForest, his evolution, uh, I think, will continue to, to, to develop. And then Cam is like, is he, he's your Buffalo nickel. He's your post. He's your he, – they, they might even play more dime next year with Cam and Jamin in there. So I think that's a really exciting proposition in terms of defensive flexibility Again, was it perfect? No, but did it show you a lot about his mindset? I think, yeah, and it gets me gets me excited about what that group can do in the back end. Again, it's one game. It's a small sample size, but, again, a very high growth piece who, 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 who in my opinion, showed more than, like, Chris, for example. Like, he, like that's where he's at, and I think that's exciting. Yeah, which is unsurprising. A uh, higher draft pick, right, and somebody's right. played a lot more, obviously. Right. Um, but that's... Yeah, that's that's great to hear. As you go into the offseason, um, we'll see what the safety rotation looks like next year. McCain's a free agent, so you have to think he's probably not coming back, but that's that's the rotation of life, the circle of life right. in the NFL. As you draft a guy, hopefully he develops, and he's ready to take on a larger role as you, you let a free agent go. And uh, and then you got to sign him to a new contract uh, because that's that comes up quick. All right, uh, that'll do for... Oh, is there anybody else that... that uh, stuck out real quick. Yeah, I mean, I think Cleek Hudson did a nice job. He's a guy that yeah. I've always liked. I've liked his aggressiveness. I was a little disappointed in the preseason with him because he looked, again, very conservative. But whatever those young guys did in the locker room before the game, he was a guy who was physical on blocks, running to the football, diagnosing stuff, getting to his drops. And you saw, again, like I know he was drafted a couple of years ago, but you saw the athleticism and the movement skills that – that where you were like, man, he could be something kind of cool. He could be like that will position. He could do something kind of special there. And so I think that's something uh, that I, I like, you know, in, in a group that's been um, kind of much maligned for lack of depth. Like that's exciting to see him seemingly take another step. Again, again, it's one sample, it's one game, it's one sample size, but he did a great job. Uh, Benny, the uh, the nose guard, had a great game, or the nose guard, three technique, whatever he is, had a great game. Ridgeway, before he got hurt, had a great game. Um, Danny Johnson played really well. I mean, that whole defensive side, 
Mayo yeah, made they, some they, really nice oh. plays. Yeah, did a really nice job. So pretty much all of the young pieces came to the party and put their best foot forward. And that's exciting. Um, and offensively, like the two running backs, I think they deserve a lot of credit. Um, Peterson, Patterson. Um, Patterson, yeah. Patterson and, uh... looked awesome. Like that's the best I've seen him look. Like he looked better than he did in the preseason. So kudos to him. Um, Jahan, like I know everyone knows he's a baller, but he had a great game too. So the all, I pretty much, I can't think of one young guy who didn't play well. Even Christian Holmes showed up on special teams. You know, he didn't play a lot on defense, but did some good stuff. Milo Eifler, a guy we talked in the podcast, recover, makes the tackle on the punter. Like, like literally every guy that was young that was going to play more, I thought showed up and did a great job. That's good to hear. Encouraging. Yeah, great to hear. Um, yeah. You know, if they can show some consistency in next year, then this yep. will be a pretty good football team. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got a lot of time until then. <laughs> a lot of off-season banter between now and then. Uh, we will be with you again on Friday. We'll do kind of an off-season preview. What are some of the biggest conversations facing the commanders? A little bit more on the quarterback, obviously, Deron Payne and uh, whatever else we can cook up once we dive into some of the other contractual stuff and whatever else may be on the table. Obviously, if there's news between now and then, uh, we'll have coverage of that as well. Uh, we'll record that Thursday, so that should be on YouTube by Thursday evening uh, at 106.7 The Fan, and I'll get some clips up at Craig Hoffman as well. And then in your podcast feeds on the audio platforms Friday morning. And then next week, don't fret when there's no podcast Monday morning. Uh, we're switching to a Tuesday-Thursday rhythm. So we'll record Mondays, Monday nights on YouTube, uh, and then out Tuesday morning. Record Wednesdays, out Wednesday night on YouTube. Uh, in your podcast feeds Thursday morning. So that starts next week, down to two a week for the off season. And uh, we'll have plenty of prospect watching, all kinds of good stuff here on Take Command. For Logan, you can also follow Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson82. I'm Craig. You can get on Twitter at Craig Hoffman and on YouTube at Craig Hoffman as well. And uh, I'll see you all on the radio for the Hoffman Show, three to six on the team. Uh,